Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It was absolutely revolutionary to see people who looked anything like me on TV. Because otherwise, looking at TV, reading magazines, I think I thought I was white. Because what else is there to look at? Um, So it's good to have people who do look like yourselves. Hello and welcome to Creators of Colour. This is a brand new podcast all about celebrating the successes of people of colour in the creative arts. The voice you heard at the beginning of the episode is Sachandrika Chakrabarti, writer, podcaster and comedian. And I am your host, Tafayel Ahmed, journalist and editor. Before we dive into the interview, a few housekeeping notes. Please do subscribe to Creators of Colour on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or whatever other platform it is that you use to get your podcasts. Visit fanlink.to slash creatorsofcolour for a full list of platforms that we're available on. And if you do enjoy today's episode, please consider making a donation, however big or small, to keep the podcast running. More information can be found on ko-fi.com slash creatorsofcolour. That's ko-fi.com slash creatorsofcolour. For updates on future episodes, follow us on Twitter at Creators Colour. And you can follow me on Twitter as well if you want to. And say hello. It's at Tufayel. Now, today's guest, Sachandrika Chakrabarti, is a long-time journalist and now a podcaster as well. Her podcast, Freelance Pod, features freelancers in the creative arts. So do check that out. And earlier this year... Before COVID upended our lives as we knew them, Sachandrika embarked on a new journey into comedy and she has just been named one of Funny Women's Ones to Watch 2020. Here's Sachandrika Chakrabarti. Sachandrika, welcome to Creators of Colour. It must be very validating to be one of Funny Women's Ones to Watch 2020. Thank you for having me. It is is really amazing. So I think... um... It is a really weird year to start comedy. I only started in January 2020. Um, I didn't know it was going to happen. But basically, I'd always like wanted to try it. Um, but like various things kind of got in the way. And then I'd look up a course. I thought courses were the way to sort of get in. And and I always get permission to get started. And so I'd look up a course and I'd have my eye on it and it'd sell out. And finally, I was like, right, the Bill Murray in Angel. It's run by company called Angel Comedy, these um, comedians got together, bought this old pub and renovated it. And you've got like one bar and then a proper like, old school comedy club, like you get in New York in the other room. Dark, got a little stage, cramped, everything's brilliant. And so I did a course on stand-up for six weeks. And this is when we could be face-to-face. And it was it was really helpful because you know, you've got to run your comedy past other people. You've got to see how they react. You can write great stuff sitting home on your own and think it's amazing but you don't actually know if it works so it's that kind of writing it's a dialogue um so it's really fun with a class we go for drinks on a sunday afternoon afterwards and it was uh, yeah it was really fun and then we had an end of course showcase so to get up on that stage it'll be dark we'd have invited all our friends and family to come along and watch us we had to do a five minute set and so I've, I've done a lot of stuff like i've spoken on stage a lot as a journalist um and as a podcaster i suppose and so that element of 
getting on stage doesn't tend to frighten me. I don't know why. I don't get nerves. I do get the adrenaline, and then it turns out after you come off stage, you get a come down, which is like quite a crash. Um, but I just really enjoyed doing that. And then what you do after that is that you book in loads of like five minute gigs around town. I mean, I'm lucky to be in London where there are lots of these gigs. So you basically um, find out where all the kind of open mic nights are. You email the right person and say, can I have five minutes? And what you tend to have to do, you'll often bring a gig. So you have to bring a friend who will stay and drink all night to the bar, make some money out of it. And then you wait your turn. You have your moment in spotlight. And then you sort of keep practising and practising. And then obviously I had like... All these things booked through March, April and May. And then the day lockdown started in the UK was March the 23rd when I was meant to do my first gig at the Betsy Trotwood in Farringdon. So I thought, well, what else can I do this time? It seems a shame to have started something I really love. And then this pandemic has happened. I don't know when I could do comedy again. I don't know where I can go with it. And it seemed promising. Hmm. As so I had this video, which was really helpful. Some uh, One of my friends had videoed my set at the end of the course. And then I was just like searching around, looking for things. And I saw the Funny Women competition. And this year, because of you know everything's with COVID, they said just send in um, a video of yourself performing, and then that's how they'll sort of judge you. And that they're working out as they go along how to do an online stand-up competition. And so I didn't expect it to go as far as it went. I was amazed it went as far as it went. But um, in terms of why I entered, I was like, I feel like I've done something in terms of comedy now. Like it wasn't a waste. Like you know, your internal to-do list. Done a thing for comedy now, tick, nothing will happen, forget about it. So that's kind of why I did it. And then where it went was, yeah, that was incredible. And I'm really grateful to the organisers and the judges for thinking I was worth putting through. It's, it's amazing. Growing up, I, I lived in Bethnal Green, basically right near the Backyard Comedy Club. So, you know, I was well aware of like Lee Hurst and I've been there a few times and seen like different comedians there. I love it. I think the vibe and just the kind of, you know, obviously avoid sitting in the front row so you don't get picked on. But I really just love the environment and the, the, the fact that you kind of get to see two or three different people. And it's not just like this one long set like a gig right you get some variety um what what was it about comedy that made you want to do it what where did all of this kind of you know start I really love watching comedy growing up um I think recently so comedy really like stand-up as a form probably came to the UK in the 90s it was very new when I was a teenager I didn't know that when I was a teenager but comedy in the 90s was white men on stage it it didn't necessarily, like, people who looked like me weren't necessarily, weren't on the stage at that point. So it was something that went on and was interesting and fun to watch, but I didn't necessarily think, that's a career. And when I left uni in 2005, I was still saying comedy wasn't mature in the way it is now, where you, you have, like, the student chortle contest, and students at uni are thinking about it and thinking, like, this is a career I can get into. So in the noughties, I would say it still didn't feel like a career. Um, it wasn't something I said to myself, that's... That's the thing I could do for a living, uh, was journalism did. Um, so the idea of like making a living by writing and creativity didn't feel to me like a safe enough option. I didn't know what would happen to journalism. I didn't know I'd get made redundant three times in eight years. I, I didn't know what the internet would do to journalism, but it seemed like a safer course. And the fact I get to write and interview people and do all of these things seemed like a good thing but I think in recent years since I made a podcast um when I worked at the Daily Mirror I made a podcast about the show Black Mirror it's called Black Mirror Cracked 
and um, that that did well. It it got twenty thousand downloads in its first week, and one hundred fifty thousand over six months. And because of that, I got to speak at lots of events and enter the audio world a bit. And it kept coming up the same question: or have you done stand up? Or have you done stand up? And that question had come up in my life before then, but not this consistently and this often. And I was sort of getting into listening to more podcasts. The podcast boom was happening. This is like late 2017 into 2018. And something occurred to me that it looks like pod, um, it looks like comedians can do whatever they want. They turn up on podcasts. They go and do live stand-up. They do sketches. They're, they're writing um, TV shows and pilots. They're making films. Um, they're turning up on news shows. They're doing spoof parody news shows. Um, all these sorts of things. I thought comedians that have ever seen to me to not only have skills that are versatile but it's like they've already they've got a certificate saying hey i'm really versatile use me and people say yeah that certificate works for me come on in whereas it seems to me that journalists didn't have that certificate and so i was looking for that freedom essentially like why do comedians get to do everything because because they can just talk and they can talk appropriately but they can make it fun but they can just talk and fill the air and i thought i probably can do that as we're finding out now hopefully <laughs> And how have you found it to continue honing your craft while COVID has been happening? It's obviously been a very quiet six months on the comedy scene. And as writers, you know, both of us are writers. It's something that you have to kind of continue flexing those muscles. So you, I guess, don't forget how to write. How does that apply to the comedy work? So in a weird way, I've not had a bad lockdown in that in that respect. I think because my primary income wasn't coming from comedy at all. Like I wasn't making money from comedy. I was so new to it. Obviously for comedians who have their primary income coming from comedy, coming from live touring and gigging, it, it must have been really difficult for them and I really feel for them. But I guess as someone who's come to freelancing from journalism and, you know, has been maybe redundant so many times, my feeling forever is I'll always be like one third this and one third this and do a bit of a job there and a bit of a job there. Um, not to say that free, freelance writing dried up as well. Like I was living on my savings and uh, shakshuka, which I got really into, just making eggs poached in a tomato broth. That was what I was eating. But um, what I did to actually perform, so I could write stuff, but the performance is the issue. Uh, a couple of things that are really great. A lot of these comedians who had more time on their hands were giving online Zoom workshops. A lot of writers were doing this. I went to some great workshops by Nika Shukler, uh, the novelist and memoirist. And um, some were free, some were very cheap. And I think while people are trying to understand how Zoom works and get on with it, people are also finding the fact that their skills were really in demand and people really wanted to learn them. So there are a couple of really great ones I went to. Um, Charlie Dinkin, who uh, went to BBC, she and a friend, Ben Sutton, run something called Seize, Seize the Means, I think. And they set up comedy workshops. And there are lots of different kinds, but one of them they did was um, for people who want to write for Newsjack. So Newsjack is on Radio 4. It's coming back next Friday. And basically members of the public can write for it. So you can send in a couple of sketches. You can send in a couple of one-liners. It's all like topical, like news comedy. And you can get a credit on the BBC, which is incredible. And uh, one thing they set up, some of these workshops for was to get more diverse writers in because they really understood that there's a problem in writers rooms they're not very diverse so it's that one particular workshop that's for diverse writers to come along kind of learn more about Newsjack and um, just get the confidence in many ways to submit and certainly I'd looked at submitting 
to the last series back in February, but then I, I sort of overthought it and never sent my stuff in. And so that was great. And not only did we learn a lot about what was needed, then we went off in the afternoon and wrote our own stuff, sent it in, and they got professional comedians to critique our work. Which is, I mean, and this was free. This is incredible. So that's one example of a really great comedy workshop. And another one is um, Angel Comedy itself. So where I did my stand-up course, they also had this thing back in the pre-COVID days called the Angel Writing Gym. And you'd go, and I think it was just Sundays. It might be Saturdays as well. And it's usually like in person, three hours. Again, we get a professional comedian in. And then you do like lots of writing exercises. And you kind of learn comedy in the way that they do it so some people like everyone has a different style um some people are really interested in the philosophical side um and bringing that in some people uh, again want to bring in topical comedy some people you know might want to write um one one stand-up set but in different voices like there are many ways to approach stand-up so you'd go in and each comedian would do it differently and they put these online which is amazing and so i think at the moment it's from friday to sunday every week 2pm you go into the zoom for an hour and a half which is quite a while and you get this comedian who number one um encourages you to bring your own work in and then also you, you develop like jokes and writing and you practice stuff in the actual thing so i've only written another second five minute set i haven't written loads but i took it to one of these comedy gyms and i read out maybe the first not did i read it out read out slash performed it's, it's hard to perform on a screen but kind of did that and it's about um how how Hindus work in a socially distance age like what happens with the stripper there there are many questions and this came out of a real thing that I was planning a Hindu but unfortunately it was all um postponed because my friend obviously couldn't do it this year and so I just tried out the first couple of minutes and what's so helpful with that is like it's great when people laugh but it's also it's even better when people have suggestions and so what I found was there's this great community in comedy. It's so friendly. It's uh, very generous. And because I think stand-up relies on, on a level of collaboration, so on the audience collaborating with the comedian and saying, yeah, we find this funny, we're going to laugh, we're going to groan, we're going to give you back sort of um, our reactions so you know how we feel about your material. But also other comedians saying, oh, hey, they're good, I'm going to recommend them for this lineup," Or they're really good, you should go to their teaching session because they've got a really great way about doing it. So, yeah, what I found with comedy, definitely, is it's it's found ways to bring that openness online and say, look, we're still here, we'll help each other, even if we can't actually stand up on the stage and be live in the way we'd like to. So that, that has been incredible. And again, not what I would have known back in February, back in January when I was starting stand-up. I didn't know that there could be a kind of slight positive to this very strange time. Right, and that's a great way to look at it as a positive in terms of being able to start something new, learn a new skill, do something that you haven't done before. Uh, for me, for example, I started writing a book and it's something I would never have done before. How would you suggest people who, like you, want to get into comedy go about it? Should they consider doing a course like you did? I guess it's really individual and it depends on your level of confidence. Um, you can't, I think you can just about start booking gigs again. I went and saw Comedy Live twice last week. One was um, at the Open Air Theatre in Regent's Park and one was indoors at the Camden Comedy Club on Camden High Street. So those were like professional comedians with many years under their belts. But if they're coming back, it does mean that other pubs and other venues will start putting on the open mic nights again. So you can just go straight into, right, I'm going to email 
this promoter, this organiser. They're often on Facebook. Often you can look up comedy nights on Facebook and find out the organiser. Or they'll be on a pub's website, like on Thursdays we have comedy upstairs, this new email. So that's generally how you found out who puts the nights on. Um, so you could do that. I didn't, I didn't feel confident enough to just go to an open mic and say, here I am. I felt the need for a course to just just get a sense of like what goes into a stand-up set. Um, even things like, it's a really tiny thing, but I'm glad I learned it. Our teacher showed us, when you go on stage, like say, what's likely early in your career, well, there'll be a line-up, there'll be like five people that night, and you're number three, for instance. You go on stage and say, like, I'm five foot three, the microphone is going to be too high for me. That's just what's going to happen. And I'm a walker about the stage and I gesture a lot. So I'm going to have to take that microphone out of the stand and put the stand away because you don't want anything between you and the audience. It's distracting. So there's even a technique for that to ensure you don't smash the microphone into your teeth. And it's just, it's such a small thing, but then that, that ruins your set, doesn't it? You're like, ah, I can't speak. So even just learning that, I would have known that was a thing. I wouldn't have understood that was important and that could change how you felt about your whole set if you accidentally hit yourself in the face. But you learn that on a on a stand-up course. I, I would always be pro-course because it was what I needed, but everyone is different. How diverse have you found it? I think, you know, for a lot of for a lot of us uh, people of colour from, from different backgrounds, you know, we have those kinds of those people that we look up to, like a Lenny Henry or, you know, back in the 90s for me it was goodness gracious me all the way like that was that was what made me like really love the sketch show uh as an art form really because it was the first one I could actually really relate to uh so we have those kinds of like really important figures but in general I guess there is an idea that it is still quite white so I have to say that I've not really been out and about the circuit that much so I can't have been it's 2020 has been an indoors year but um I think it's really changing it's changing rapidly and I think the thing with the comedy industry is that it can change rapidly it reacts to what's going on in the way that stand-up reacts very quickly like if Boris Johnson did something different today if he said oh it's eight people you can have in a little group then you could change your stand-up set for tonight and you'd reflect what's going on so I think in the same way the comedy industry is taking seriously the diversity issue and saying look what can we do and I imagine that it can it can react faster than perhaps publishing, for instance, where a book can take two years to come out. So there's people I admire on TV, like Sophie Duker. I think she's fantastic. She's on, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Frankie Boyle's New World Order. So she's a regular on there. She's brilliant. Um, her producer is someone I follow on like all social media, Simon Ferdows. Um, she's great. Um, on Jonathan Ross's stand-up, which is like a new show on ITV at the moment, you've got quite a few people who are diverse. You've got um, Suk Ojla, who's an amazing Asian um, comedian, and I think she's from, oh, she's from Kent. Um, yeah, so I think it is changing. I think it started changing the last couple of years. I think that's really exciting, and it's um, hopeful as well. Uh, I think what what's nice is that you can... It's important to have people who look like you doing things because otherwise it's hard to imagine yourself doing it. But also it's looking at the diversity of comedy as well and looking at other role models who you might not at first think I've got much in common with them, but they also really speak to you. So when I started my course and for the funny women stuff as well, you always ask who your comedy influencers are. And like, goodness gracious me, I would say, yeah, kind of. I really loved they're going for an English sketch like that is it's incredible it's, and it's such an 
it should be such a simple joke. I mean, obviously they act it out perfectly and it's a beautiful sketch in terms of like their, their chemistry together, their report, they're brilliant. Um, but it's just a reversal. It's just literally flipping how English people would go for an Indian curry. Um, and probably more in the nineties, like less, a bit less so now, um, you know, with, with the fact that Brick Lane is kind of sl slowly dying on us. Um, so things are changing from the nineties, but, um, I would say that sketch in particular is my favourite, oh goodness gracious me. Otherwise, I found it almost, it always hit for my parents' generation a bit more. I don't know, but it was absolutely revolutionary to see people who looked anything like me on TV. Because otherwise, looking at TV, reading magazines, I think I thought I was white, because what else is there to look at? Um, so it's good to have people who do look like yourselves. But you can have other, you know, influences like I Love Broad City, um, which was a an American sitcom with um, two best friends, Abby and Alana, and their adventures in New York in the 20s. And it's very surreal. And I really love surreal comedy. And that grew out of a web series they made in the noughties. And then other people who I love quite a lot. Oh, like people from um, Whose Line Is It Anyway? So like Josie Lawrence huge fan I can't sing I'm never going to be anything like her but I love that she can and they can improv like nothing else so yeah it's it's important to have diversity of people to look at but also you can choose what kind of comedy you enjoy yourself and what you're going to be doing it doesn't have to be just one kind of thing I would say right now it seems that there is uh quite a lucrative market for comedy pre-covid perhaps um you know, it, it seemed that there's a lot of money being spent on specials for streaming services and, and things like that. It sounds like it's a really good time to, to be in comedy. Uh, do you think that could be something that you end up doing full time? Is it, is it quite lucrative or could be quite lucrative in the future? I don't know anything about money at the moment, to be honest. So it does it does look like it, people are doing well. But, you know, the people you see on TV now, like Sarah Pascoe, for instance, um, they've been doing this since 2010 and she was like with funny women there's like a really long illustrious list of female comedians who are famous now who are finalists or winners um but they they were in this competition back in 2013 so I'm like a decade behind people like that if if I even get any, a tenth of the success that they have and for all those people we see on tv there's another 10 of their friends who they went to Edinburgh with for 10 years, who've never been on TV and probably their careers aren't going to go that way. So I, I think it's like writing. I think it's like any of these creative careers. I've got no idea. Luck is going to play a huge part. I think the only thing you can really do is really love the journey. You have to really fall in love with the act of doing these things. And I know like writing, for instance, definitely comes in for a lot of stick online. Like it's a classic people on Twitter, like, oh my God, I'm writing, it's a nightmare and all of that. And yeah, it, it can be, especially when the inspiration isn't coming. But I think you have to love the actions of writing, making comedy, making whatever it is without the expectation that it's going to net you money or fame or love or anything like that. Like I don't, I don't know if it will do anything for me. And it maybe I look back in five years and was like, that was a fun little foray into comedy, but it didn't really work out. So I've, I've got no idea. It can work out incredibly for the people who make it to the top. How they do that, I I don't know. I, I feel like 
luck, yes, and talent, definitely. But it seems like a lot of hard graft, like taking a show to Edinburgh every year for years and years. That seems to be a big part of it. So, yeah, I'm still definitely a baby comedian in that respect. So what's next for you? What would you like to achieve over the next year or so of your comedy career now that you've had your debut year, you've made the list of Funny Women's Ones to Watch 2020. Where do you go from here? Well, it's a really good question, isn't it? I think um, there aren't many sort of laid down paths yet, except for the path that goes to Edinburgh. That seems to be the main one that people encourage you to think about going to, taking a show to, and that's where people are kind of discovered, um, like, a, like a lost country. So... <laughs> I, that's a nice idea the thought I could take a show to Edinburgh it's not something I ever thought I would even be imagining um yeah I mean writing an hour-long show or a half-hour-long show that is a big commitment and also you'd have to practice it so that's something I'm keeping in mind you have to register for next year obviously next year's Edinburgh is going to be an unusual one there'll be people rolled over from this year plus um also people trying to get spots in January for August so it might not even work out that I can get get a spot um my main thing is gigging for now and trying to build up at least that first half an hour um which is you know that's that's a lot of work um to write it to have jokes in it for it to be funny for it to be for me it's storytelling I'm not a really like punchline punchline kind of comedian um people who are incredible I don't know how they remember it all and uh, yes, the storytelling, make sure there's jokes in it, learning it. Um, and I'm not a natural learner of lines. So I have, to, I have to make sure like it has to have a structure so I can remember it. And it has to have, yeah, like a rhythm so I can remember it and things like that. And then, and then you have to go and try it. And then it won't work because you've just sat down and written it. And then you have to see where people laugh, where people don't laugh, where they cringe, whatever it is. And you go back and rewrite and then, then you try it again. So I think even a half hour show would be such an achievement. Um, maybe you could set the goal at that, trying to have a half hour for next year. But then, yeah, I, I love getting on stage and just talking at a crowd. I say at a crowd. I like talking to the crowd as well. And you mentioned earlier not sitting in the front row because you get picked on. And I, I hope there's less of that now that comedy and stand-up is like matured as an industry. Um, It's hopefully less combative relationship between the stand-up and like, the front row or the audience than, than what we're used to. And my approach to the audience is definitely like we're all friends here. Like I'm going to gently tease you, but I'm not here to be mean to you or make you feel afraid. So I hope people are less afraid about sitting in the front row yes you will get spoken to um but if anything it'd be a bit like self-deprecation like I'll probably be joking about how I wish I had a stable's job as that person in the front row um so please people do sit in the front row because I like talking to the crowd and finding more fun things out that way um but yeah let's let's say I'm looking at gigging um building up to half hour maybe maybe an hour I don't know don't know how likely that is in the first year and a half of starting comedy but I think there is a difference to starting out in comedy um when you're mid-30s as opposed to like being 18 so I've had this career already where I've dealt with words a lot dealt with speaking dealt with audiences read the room so even though it wasn't stand-up comedy it was it certainly helped me get to where I am now so um 
we'll see. Self-belief is like 50% of it as well. And as, as a writer yourself, you'll know that when that self-belief ebbs away, it makes it really hard to get stuff done. So you have to hold on to that. Absolutely. Well, Chandrika, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us about your comedy career. And congratulations again. Uh, one of the funny women's wants to watch in 2020. Uh, for people that do want to kind of follow your career and as well as your podcast and, and, and your writing as well, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, so Twitter's probably best. I'm at Sachandrika C. And I'm also on Instagram as at Sachandrika. And yes, I do have a podcast called Freelance Pod. And uh, if you want to find it on Twitter, it's at Freelance underscore pod underscore. And um, it's on Instagram as at Freelance Pod. Um, so you can see I've got the handles I wanted on Instagram. And uh, on Twitter, I guess I better keep working on it but yeah I, I'm sort of like I love a bit of social media I'm always updating them and uh, I've got a newsletter which might be helpful because if you want to see me do any of my gigs then um, when I've got dates I'll put them in there so it's sachandrika.substack.com so my newsletter is free and just gives you info on what I'm up to but also things I like from the internet and podcasts I'm listening to and all that kind of things thank you so much to Sachandrika Chakrabarti there once again, please do subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform it is that you use to get your podcasts. Consider making a donation at ko-fi.com slash creators of colour. Follow us on Twitter at creators colour and at Tafael if you want to follow me. Until next time. Thanks. Thanks.